This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. Jason Roundsville here, joined as always by my co-host Dylan Ray. And we have with us, straight from Puerto Rico, we have Ishii Award winner, uh, world record typical mule deer holder, Bodie Gardner with us. Bodie, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, congratulations. We just, just finished wrapping up convention not long ago. Yeah, just want to throw a huge congratulations out there to you for that just magnificent mule deer. Thank you. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. I was really wanting to be there. Um, fortunately and unfortunately, it was my anniversary. So it was year 18 and my wife had let me go on enough hunts, but this one here, I wasn't going to dare even ask. So, but wish I could meet you guys in person, but good to be yeah. with you guys. Well, you know, Arizona is coming up in two years. And from, from what I understand, you have some other, uh, pretty good bucks that would would probably get a panel invite so so maybe in arizona maybe we load them up and bring them down that's right so it's uh we're talking just a, just a bit ago before we started started recording but for anybody who's listening that doesn't understand well number one it was a a, a mule deer and velvet typical of 218 and two eights. So for anybody that follows social media or Facebook, that would be Dylan. We did the math on that. That was what a, a 296 inch Facebook deer, <laughs> I think is how that translates over. So 
And for, for everybody on Facebook who's shot a 200 inch typical mule deer. Yeah, you probably haven't. Um, <laughs> so anyway, there's, sorry, we see that all the time. It's like, Oh, I got a 200 inch buck. And you're like, no, that's a 150, but still a nice buck, but it's not 200 inches. This one is every man. It is absolutely everything you would expect in a buck of that magnitude. And, uh, I've actually got to see it twice now, once in Utah for that special panel measurement last year. And then again at convention and man, what a tremendous trophy. So, um, what, tell us a little bit about that buck. I mean, people want to hear about it. Uh, it was, I believe it was 2012. Um, and I really was just starting to get into bow hunting. Um, I grew up, my, my dad, my uncle would always be out on the, the opener of the archery hunt and with the recurve bows or, you know, the first early stage of like the compound bow. And I don't know if they ever killed anything, but we always had a great weekend, um, out hunting the opener. And so, um, there was like a point in my life where things were starting to slow down a little bit. And, and I'm like, why not start to bow hunt? And I think the reality was, is, um, everybody wanted to hunt Southern Utah. And I had a buddy that couldn't hunt a muzzleloader Ponsagon tag. It called me up kind of last minute. It's like, Hey, um, here's a tag. He had bought the tag and it was a very thoughtful guy. <laughs> it's like, Hey, if you want to go cover the outfitter? Here's a tag. I'm like, what? I'm like, absolutely. And so I hunted, hunted with a, a guy and I was just kind of, it just kind of reignited like the passion for it. And I was like, man, what I really want to do is start bow hunting. And so ended up getting a tag in 2012, it's Ponscon tag and the outfitter that I wanted to hunt with, I called him up and he's like, man, there's, we don't have any, we have no availability. And I'd knock doors for a living. And the first time somebody tells you no, it's like, okay, you got to go out of them multiple times. And so I'm like, hey, I'm not going to take no for an answer. And uh, what I did know is that Vrosco and was his biggest competitor at the time. They're really good buddies. And I just said, hey, you know, don't make me go with Dave because, you know, if I go with Dave, I'll never come back. And I kind of poked him a little bit. I'm like, hey, you're hunting all these, these old timers that really can't get out and hunt with the bow. Like, let's get out and hunt. And he laughed. And so he'd reached out and said, Hey, if you can drive down to Richfield tonight, we'll consider it. And so I got in my truck that night, drove a couple hours down to Richfield, had a great meeting. I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll hunt wherever. doesn't matter. And so, um, that was kind of the beginning of me hunting with one of my best friends now, Jeremy Chamberlain. And I remember, uh, a couple of years earlier, his son, Connor Chamberlain's on a LDS mission right now in South Africa or in, um, uh, Cape town. Um, not, he's not in Cape town. He's in, um, Ghana, uh, Cape coast mission. Um, he was probably at the time, so 10 years ago, 20, he was like 10 years old. He'd been like, you know, just one of your, I, I have a 12 year old, but imagine your 10 year old out looking through a spot and scopes. Hey dad, I found a buck. Just randomly looks at this buck and there was a giant deer, which was Cato at the time, two or three years earlier. And mm. that was really the only time they'd ever seen him, but they figured the deer was over 200 inches as a typical then. And, um, the year I killed him, I believe he was eight, eight years old. And so 200 inches as a, as a five-year-old, um, well, this particular year, he just blown up was, you know, perfect winter, great spring, great water. And so we had a 
They had a couple of trail cam pictures of him. Nobody had ever seen him in person other than like three years earlier. And I remember Jeremy's like, hey, we got this Cabela's cameraman that wants to come out with you. And I'm like, is he quiet? He's like, yeah. I'm like, he's like, he just got done hunting the strip. And I'm like, why not? Right. And so they remember them putting me in this blind. Um, never really spent any time in the blind. They put me in this blind in southern Utah. And I think it was like 110 degrees that day. And that was my, that was the start of like me really getting into bow hunting for the next, you know, I think the next eight or nine days, me and this, I don't remember his name, we're sitting in this blind and it was just sweating. It felt like just a big sweat fest. And um, I remember one evening, um, Cato had walked in, it was like probably 6.30 and I reach over and grab the cameraman's leg and he looks up and the buck is like right there. And I'm like, and I'm like getting ready to pull back. And the cameraman turns the camera on. And just the noise of this. Oh, geez. Buck was buck, buck was gone. And I, I I thought I was gonna kill the guy. Literally thought I was gonna kill him. Nobody ever seen him. Nobody seen him in daylight. He was oh, a guy. man. And when you know, when, once they put up the blind, they had never had him come back in again. And I was just sick. Um, so we get out of the blind, I'm fired up. We go back to lodge that night. I'm like, Hey, we got to get rid of this guy. And I said a couple more days, nothing. And this is how smart this buck was. We could, I could see his tracks coming in. Um, and he was just circling the blind, He'd come in, in the wind circle and go off the bed. So I said, Hey, look, I'm done with this blind. Um, we were in the cedars, but I'm like, Hey, I'm going to put up a I said, I just need a tree stand. I'll, I'll said, I'll cut out the middle section of the cedar tree and I'll just shoot him 70 yards off the road as he's coming up off this two track as he's coming up off this. He was off this, he was traveling about three miles to bed um, all in the dark. Wow. And we were about, um, you know, we're within, we figured probably five to 700 yards of where, where he was bedding. And so I just said, look, I'll shoot him off. He's coming up this rim off this two track. I'm like, I'll just shoot him off the two track because we could see his tracks every morning or you could see where they kind of pound this trail. So I, I took some clippers, cut out the whole section of this, um, this cedar tree. And um, and 730, it was always 730 in the morning if it was going to happen or not happen. And like 732, I'm sitting at the top of this cedar tree. Imagine me, I'm six, you know, almost six, two and. It's not like I'm like blending in in like a 15 foot cedar tree, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I look back to my right, and there's nine bucks coming in, making their way to their bed. And as a big buck, he's the last of nine, uh, last of nine bucks. A um, bunch of little dinks in front of him, and then <clears throat> this other buck we called Hamage, which was his running mate, like a 190 three-year-old giant, giant deer. And it was really sad. The deer got hit by a car the next year. Um, as a four-year-old, it would have been another giant. And uh, there was a cedar tree off to my, off to my left. I figured about 42 yards, he'd probably make a hard right. And that's where I'd draw back. And little bucks fed in, two big bucks were standing there looking, looking, looking. Uh, Hamish comes in, Cato stand there by himself. And it was just amazing to watch the caliber of this deer, not just from as impressive as how he looked um, physically, but just intellectually how smart this deer was. Sat back, sat back. And just like I thought, he made a hard right. And as soon as he went right behind the cedar tree, 
I pull back. Well, I pull 90 pounds and 90 pounds uh, full draw this deer to set there. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And, um, with nine, you know, eight other bucks looking around, something caught a glimpse of me as I pull back. So they all took off. This buck just didn't move. He stood there right in line in the cedar tree with me. I couldn't shoot. And I'm probably a minute, minute and a half into the draw, starting to shake. And he finally gets nervous and he pounces out um, to some big old buck brush. And the buck brush, because of the angle that I had, where he was at, it was probably like eight or nine foot buck brush, giant buck brush. But from my angle, I could see down on him. And he's standing there. And right before I shoot, because I now don't have my yardage, I don't have a chance to shoot a yardage. Um, I figured it was, you know, I thought it was, uh, you know, 48 to 50 yards. Well, the timeout right there, the only reason I flung an arrow, and I, I, I regret flinging an arrow, is that morning or the previous night as I went back to the lodge, we'd had two other deer show up that, that we'd been after. And this is crazy. We called one Joe Dirt, one called Bruce Almighty. Well, Joe Dirt was 230s and Bruce Almighty was 40 inches wide and also 230 buck running together. Wow. And, you know, they thought they thought Cato at the time was like a 205 type typical. And I remember the first time I'd come in, I said, hey, the deer's over 210, probably over 215. They started laughing at me. He's like, they don't make deer that big. And, right. And they don't. And, and I was like, well, I said, I've, I said, I've killed the deer in Colorado that had 30 inch beams. It was like 218. I said, the deer has wow. over, the deer has 30 inch beams. And they laughed like, well, we gave him 27. So I said, like, give me your measurements, like 27. And I just said, well, he's bigger than all that. I was like, well, like he's the world record then. I said, he's the world record then. And so with that, but then I'm not really understanding how big a typical is because you always go to like, you know, big typical, then non-typical and all the trash, your eyes are always going to go to go non-typical. And so in the back of my mind, I'm like, hey, if I fling an arrow here, what's the loss? Um, I can go hunt these big deer tonight because it was an evening hunt where they were feeding in. You couldn't really hunt them in the morning. And so I guess, I guess and it was like 48 yards, hung on him, flung the arrow, fly to the arrow, looked great. And deer takes off. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I saw shot underneath him. And so I lean back, um, radio my buddy and just like, hey man, I just missed him. He's like, what do you mean you missed him? I'm like he came in, this is what happened. And he's like, well, set, set tight. I'm like, no, 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 I missed him. He's like, can you see the deer? I'm like, yes, I can see the deer. He's like, what he's doing? He's like, he's wagging his tail. He's like, he's not, he's not, you didn't miss him. You hit him. It's like, you, you shot him in the guts. And deer wags his tail. I mean, this is early, early on. You know, and hunting like that, the bow is like, he's, you shot him in the guts. He's sick. I said, don't move. So I sat there another hour until he wa walked out about 400 yards out of this kind of this big cedar bowl up into the cedar trees. And so my buddy comes in, he's like, get back up in the tree stand. I'm like, no, I know where my arrow's at. No, get up in the tree stand. I'm like, no, I know where my arrow's at. So we walk over there, arrow's completely covered in blood. And my buddy all, was always laughing. He's like, hey, just put an arrow in him, I'll find him because we're in the desert. We'll track him down. And so I'm like, okay. I'm like, really, the Oishi Ward should equally as much go to my buddy, Jeremy. The guy's one of the most incredible hunters I've ever been around. One of the most incredible humans you'll ever meet in your life. And um, 
he's like, dude, this deer is dead. And he's like, so we'll go back. You know, the responsible thing is to go back and not push the deer. And so we drove back. It was like the longest seven hours of my life. I had a buddy had called me. It was planning on coming down and hunting with me the remainder of the hunt. And I said, hey, look, my buddy Kent K will be down here in a, in a few hours. We'll just wait until he gets back. It's like, perfect. So we wait. Kent was a little late. So we get like three o'clock. Finally rolls around. Kent rolls in as we're driving back down to, you know, we're just outside of um, Kanab. As we're driving back down that way, a big old black storm cloud rolls through. And you got to realize it doesn't rain in the oh, desert. Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, are you kidding me? And it's not like it's like this is like sand pods, right? Like this buck is straight desert. Like he just didn't come out of his winter range. And so where a lot of these deer were winter, he just never, he was a year-round buck, resident buck. And just as we got to where I shot, it just, it was a torrential downpour. Like this, this rain and cats and dogs for about 10 minutes. So we get to where he was at, picked up the arrow again, could kind of figure out where the tracks were at. Cause I also saw where the direction of where he last went in the trees. So we got to there and there's a big old pool of blood about the size of like a watermelon. My buddy's like, mm -hmm. dude, he, he's dead. He's going to be here within a hundred yards, his first bed, he's going to be laying down, not got back up. Cause mine, it's been like seven hours. Right. Well, we go a couple hundred yards, no blood, just a track, no nothing. And we get within about three or 400 yards in the trees and like I'm colorblind. So me following, following, following blood is like impossible. Um, mm. So for me as an archery hunter, I've always had to say, look, I've had to make this always make it count every single time. And unfortunately, I'm like, look, I made a mistake, shot an arrow. I probably shouldn't have shot. Uh, my yardage was wrong. Actually, it was 56 yards and I shot 46. So I just, that's why I shot low. Um, I didn't know this at the time. But so we're sitting there. I'm looking at tracks. I'm like, hey, you went right. My buddy's like, no, he went left. Um, Jeremy's on his hands and knees, hands and knees. He's like, no, the, and he picks up this little stick, literally like the, like the leaf of like dead grass, like there's blood on this. I'm like, dude, that is mud. He's like, that's blood. I'm like, that's mud. And I'm like, look at that ant. There must be blood on the back of that ant too. And I was messing with him. He's like, no, this <laughs> buck, the buck went left, but all the tracks went right. And sure enough, we go left, come out of this little teeny ravine, right to the edge of some cedar trees, about a mile and a half in at this point. Um, sun setting. Um, man, we're probably 20 minutes before sunset. So it's getting dark. We've been tracking him now for a couple hours and we get right to the hard pan. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to have no more track at this point. Ground goes completely hard. And well, Jeremy's about five, eight. My buddy Ken's probably five, six. And the way these cedar trees are, I'm, I'm going to have to like duck down to see anything. And we're like, dude, this buck's gone. He actually laid down right at the edge of these trees and you could see he'd rolled around on the hard dirt, but he was gone. And Jeremy's like, dude, this is not good. We must not hit him as good as we thought. And all of a sudden, about that time, Ken's like, there he is, there he is. And where we look back, back towards the, uh, um, I get my directions mixed up from Puerto Rico, Utah. So we look back to the uh, east. And this is how smart the buck was, is he knew he was wounded. So he's looking back on his tracks. Wind is coming up in his uh coming off his back. So he's back looking back in his track as the wind's coming off. So he's protected. And I can, we just see this, the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. And I can't shoot him. He's probably 90 yards just doing this head bob. So you can tell he's just really, really sick on his last limb. And so we take our boots off. Um, 
we leave Kent there. Kent's got his video camera. So he's videoing. We actually have film footage of this. If you haven't seen, I need to send it to you. And so Kent's filming and Jeremy and I sneak up and around and I shoot him in his bed and at like 40, 44 yards. And just as I was getting ready to shoot, because the deer is literally on his last on his last breath, Jeremy takes off running and catches this buck in his arms as he dies. And the buck dies in his arms um, because he didn't want his velvet, right? The, and he's got pristine, as you saw, he has Oh pristine. my gosh. Now that is a body right there. He, he, has, he has pristine velvet. And Jeremy's also a yeah. taxidermist, right? And he just didn't want him to do that last bit kick and thrash oh, his yeah. horns. So he literally died in his arms, hands caught. And, you know, you always laugh at these Toyota, like the Toyota kicks, they jump up and kick. Right. And as soon as Jeremy had seen with his own eyes, he's just like, this is the new world record. And he saw, he's like, this deer is so much bigger than we thought. And it was funny. Jeremy like had like off the hoofs, like this deer is, you know, 226, I think what he officially grossed netted 218 and some change. So but yeah, wow. really, really cool, cool experience to share with a couple of uh, buddies, which is also kind of um, makes it all worth the while as well. Yeah. Well, after after a track job like that, I, I, hopefully he, he earned his steak dinner. He, uh, hamburger, hot dogs. Hamburger, hamburger. Hey, there's nothing wrong with a burger. <laughs> That's yeah. That is great. It's um. Yeah, as you tell the story. I, I'm trying to think, you know, you just look in your own mind at like blood trails you followed and, and opportunities you've had. And I can't imagine having to do that and not being able to see the blood, like not being able to see that color. So that's, uh, how did a guy that, that can't follow a blood trail, how did he become a bow hunter? Bodie, how'd you get into bow? I mean, it was just, just that's what the family did. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just that, we, I just realized if you want to hunt big mule deer, right? Big mule deer and hunt them like the natives did. I grew up, I grew up on the outskirts of a reservation. Um, and I always said that I li- I was born in the wrong era. If I could go back, I'd, I'd be a native and that's how I'd live. And that's how I'd like spend my time. I just love, I just feel like, like, you know, it's, it's spiritual. I don't know how to put another word to it. Like, the closest I feel to God is in the woods. You know, some of the greatest memories that I have are with my friends. Um, looking forward to be able to share that with my own kids as well. Um, both my grandpas have passed away and um, the Wyoming is another story, but I had a really, really cool experience this year hunting backcountry Wyoming and, you know, dumb, dumb, complete dumb luck. But it was those memories that I'd shared with my grandpas in the backwoods of those things. And I think bow hunting, if you really want the best chance to kill a giant mule deer is all the work you do pre pre you know pre-scouting you have that window where they're you know not that they're dumb they're just they haven't been pushed around yet you know they're more patternable at that time um you know so if you can find one you have the greatest chance of killing it i think i i realized that as i kind of did my homework um he said hey look you know uh props of roscoe's like hey look if you want to kill a big deer my advice to be is you to hunt it with a bow because down here, you know, we can pattern them. You can hunt them. You can, if you're athletic and you can spend the time shooting them. And so I think it was that, that poor shot. It was actually a great shot. It was just poor. Didn't have a chance to range. Right. I'd hit the buck. I hit the buck half an inch underneath his heart. So, um, but that, that experience there really made me committed to the process where, 
I don't think we've ever had to go further than, you know, 20 yards every recover another buck. I think we've killed, you know, over 13 deer over 200 inches. Um, um, and 11 of them with a bow, 10 or 11 with a bow. Um, so, but that, that was a really, um, a really important teaching principle to me because one, I don't want animals to suffer. And two is, is like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, every shot matters and the, the game of just patience, you know? Um, so yeah, being yeah. colorblind, you really have to make up. They say like a, a guy that's blind, right. Has really good hearing. And I think there you being, go. being colorblind, it's like, look, I can't, like, I gotta have, you know, we hunt, I hunted a big bull and a beaver a couple of years ago. And, and the only shot I had, he was on the walk and my buddy was with me, had an earpiece in, I was trying to get a range out of him range and don't ever try to shoot a bull on the walk. And I shot the bull a little far, far back and we killed him, but, um, it took me, it was a week later that we found the bull and I just wouldn't give up because I knew the bull was dead. Um, and you know, unfortunately it was the smell that we finally found him, but it was a big old bull, but yeah, like it, like the practice of bow hunting, right. I just, you know, you, you guys that shoot bows, it's just such a different experience. You just feel like you're one with the animal in nature. Um, the whole experience is just a lot more special. Now. Yeah. I think most of our, our members, most of our bow hunters would definitely agree, agree with that. And so this, I mean, we're sitting here talking and this is have, have the current and, and newly, well, I guess it was appointed about a year ago, but, uh, went to convention was on display, great opportunity for people to come see this tremendous trophy. And just to give a little background about the Ishi award, this is the quite literally the highest honor bestowed upon a bow hunter in North America. Um, it's at the most can be given out every convention. So every two years and many conventions, it's not given out. Um, I've seen some tremendous trophies, um, even new world records that they did not feel was, was Ishii caliber worthy. So, I mean, a huge congratulations on that. That's, that's just, I think for, for those of you who haven't heard about it, you know, do a little research. We've got some information online and on our website and whatnot. It's, it's really something to behold. And it's, it was neat to me to see how special that not only the panel measures that are, are making recommendations to the board, but the entire board of directors takes extra special care with that before it's, it's even considered and, and then especially before it's presented. So congratulations on that. That's a pretty exciting opportunity. I mean, I don't know. Thank you. You know, honored, yeah. honored, humbled, like, um, you know, just, I just hope that like our kids have the ability and our grandkids have the ability to hunt the, the wildlife that we have a chance to hunt and harvest. Right. And that stuff's there, but yeah, like, I had a chance and it's unfortunate, like Jeremy kind of mentioned it in passing. And as he drove to Reno, I kind of looked it up and I'm like, wow, you know, wish I could have met Ishii. Sounds like my type of guy. Oh man. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Dr. Pope and Dr. Young as well. So. Yeah. That's Art Art Young, I think was the original. I think he made the first ever hunting video. That's what was 101 years ago. 
I think last year was the 100th anniversary of that video. Do we still have that that video still? We do, yeah. Yeah. I love to to see that. Yeah, it's... um, yeah, he wasn't this with guy, the cameraman. He wasn't with the cameraman from Cabela's. I'll tell you that. No, but I mean, he he literally shot a moose, made a raft out of the moose, and I, I think yeah. what I heard was it's two hundred mile float out, floated out two hundred miles on a raft made of a moose skin that he just shot. No, and he did not. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. So, and that was, that was before GPS and all the, all the modern conveniences we have now. So and, and well, it's, tell us. it's really interesting not to cut you off. I've always, I've always, my buddies have always asked like one of the questions, how do you become a better hunter? And I always tell them bow hunt because the margin error that you have, like you might not get another chance. There was a bull that I hunted on the boulders for, I think three years, never killed the bull, ever killed the bull. Right. And I really thought the year that I killed Cato, I had a chance at the state. The bull would have been the new state record typical for sure. Um, he was a giant, giant typical. But I hunted the thing for three years. And wow. um, I remember one year, this is kind of crazy. Uh, it may be a little extreme. I had a chance to kill him. And because I was out of shape, and I, I generally, am, I mean, I'm in really good shape, but the boulder top is, you know, the top of the mountain's like almost, it's like 10,600 feet or something. And these elk will migrate off the top to the meadows and work their way back up. And I just wasn't in shape. I couldn't keep up. I call it running with the bulls. And so that one year, I remember, I remember running, running stairs and running ladders and running hills for like 120 days where I could just run for like a hundred days plus or a hundred for like about 70 minutes straight. I could just run, run, run uphill. And because the chance I had, I wasn't in shape for it. And so, but that's bow hunting. Again, you don't need to do those things. Bow hunting, you have to be in right. position. And the sad thing was, is I'd killed Cato. My wife made me promise. She's like, Hey, you have to promise you'll be on this late pal trip. I'm like, okay, okay. And I look at the calendar dates and the camera footage that we had of this bull. He usually rubbed. It was like the 27th through like the third. He was in the wallows of um, August to September. And I'm like, okay, this trip will be perfect. It'll work. It's a little early. Well, the days I was in Lake Powell, he was in my wallow, feet in the air, two days. Never saw him again in my life. (laughs) That's how it goes. That yeah. is that is exactly that's the nice thing. That's the magic and also the curse of the trail camera. Cause now you're like, you know where he was, and you know you should have been there because you were planning to be there, then you just couldn't make it. I've I've had that happen to me. I don't not, yeah. not on a bull like that, but just on <laughs> on quality animals. Now, speaking of that, I know you've got some other like monster mule deer so tell tell folks about some of these other big mule deer that you've you've been into um how about the eclipse bull or the eclipse buck oh yeah yeah i think it was 2017 2017 or 18 it was september or august 21st i can Um, look yeah they're actually a really funny story uh dave roscoe killed a giant buck that year and I called up Dave um, and I'm like, hey, you know, there's a chance I might not be able to hunt, um, hunt this tag. Can I come hunt with you? And 
And he's like, he's like, yeah, maybe, maybe. But what Dave didn't tell me at the time, he had enough points to draw the Ponsagon as well. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I have a big deer, you can hunt. So I bought a Ponsagon tag and uh, Dave was really, really quiet all summer long. And I remember it's like the first of August, I call him up. I'm like, hey, Dave, I need to either get rid of this tag or I'm going to come hunt. And Dave like was like, hey, no, you want to go hunt with Jeremy again? I'm like, well, of course I want to hunt with Jeremy. He was going to hunt with me anyways. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, I ran into Wade. You get, they got a big deer. I'm like, well, I haven't heard anything. I know you have a big deer. And he gets really quiet. And I'm like, hey, Dave, I love you. You're a brother. Just show me a picture of your buck because you promised me you'd show me your biggest deer. So Verasco sends over. This is how, how good a dude Dave is. He sends over a picture of a buck. And I'll have to go back and find it. I'm like, did Dave, that, they call, I think he called him moose. The deer looked like a moose. He was, I think the deer was like almost 240 inches. So much mass. One of the coolest bucks I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, and Dave's like, hey, man, it's your deer to come hunt. There's probably only two guys that could kill it. You or me, because we're dumb enough to set it out. And it's going to take somebody that's willing to set it out the whole time. And you're going to have to sit on water because the only chance to hunt him in the desert. And I just said, Hey, Dave, I want you to go kill him. I'll go hunt whatever deer they have on this other place. And so Dave actually ends up killing this deer. I think he hunted him like 15, 16 days, really cool story. And so, so I'm David sent a picture or he hadn't killed yet actually. And so I remember it was the eclipse. I'm with a couple of buddies and you know, there's nothing better in archery hunt when you get like a rainstorm that comes in because it's like a whole different, it's like an added morning or night to your hunt, right? Deer will get up and feed early in the, in when they're in the velvet. And so um, I was hunting these ponderosas, really, really stick, re, steep ravine. And buddy come over, Jeremy comes over, he's like, hey, rain, it just happens. Like buck just stood up. He's coming to you. And I have video, I can send you the video of this buck. Um, and, you know, they'd been after this deer for, three or four years, once again, kind of a nocturnal buck and, and, uh, buck actually just kind of made a mistake, walked in at like 42 yards. And I wish it was like more dramatic than that. And I, he was quarterback and stuck, snuck one in him and, you know, he died like 20 yards off, but deer's got looks, we call him, they call him Casper, but we really should have called him like Harley Davidson. Cause he has matching flyers on both sides yeah, it was on like a 208 frame and i'm going like 242 wow that's not on the day of the eclipse 2017 2017 it was was it go ahead i was just uh i was right in line for that eclipse and so where i was it was completely pitch black for a little bit and and like you're talking about the animals like i just remember being out in in the yard looking at this thing and i mean everything just went still the birds went silent it's like it just was like a shock nothing knew what was going on and so was it that where you were was it like pitch black or was it like most like dark or how how was it where you were it wasn't like pitch black, um, but it was like for sure, like it would have been, it would appear like it was like, like, like almost dark. Okay. And wow. then it like, and then it just like, it was weird. And like it rained and like stopped. And, and what was crazy is 
like, so I killed a big deer that morning. My buddy killed a two, like a two teen buck that night. My other buddy killed a two 20 buck the next morning. So that like that, that, that hunt that morning, that night, that morning was the best movement I'd ever seen still today with deer, with animals. Interesting. And I always laugh. We may never have killed him had it not been the eclipse. Right. So the next eclipse, when it comes through, hopefully it's during hunting season and you want to be in the hills, whatever time of the day it is. No kidding. That's, that's good. If it's it's obviously hunting hours, right? (laughs) Yeah. That was one of those things where I'd heard about it and, and we just happened to be like directly like in there's like a, a line and apparently like as you follow the sun across the sky, like we were like in the middle of the, the heart of the, the darkest area. And then as you go out, get, go north or south, then it, you get varying degrees of it. And, and it was something where I'd heard about it. And I'm just like, oh man, really? I just want to go do something. Like for me, I think I was trying to get, get a tuna trip in off offshore and so I, I stayed so we could do this eclipse thing. And it was, it was quite a bit neater than I had expected it to be. I, I just hadn't expected much and it was actually pretty cool. And, and it is, it's kind of like the, even, and even here, it was just the birds. You just noticed there was a complete difference during that. Just, just for the, the few minutes that it was. So yeah, I think the cricket, that's good. I, I don't know when the name. You know, you know, I always know like when it's the start of like the evening movement was when the crickets like start chirping, right? Yeah. And I, I remember the crickets had start picked up, started chirping again. That's what it was like. I thought it was really interesting. So yeah, that's cool. We'll have to keep that, Dylan. You'll have to remind me of that. I will. When the Mr. next one Bodie comes said through, go hunt today. So go hunt. Yeah. Yeah. You and see, that's kill a two twenty. There yeah. you go. They just come yeah. out of the work to that point. They just pop out. They come out. Yeah. yeah. Knowing my luck, next time it'll be in July. And then I'll be like, but Mr. Game Warden, Bodie's told me that I should be hunting yeah, on the eclipse day. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's great, but I'm going to put the cuffs on you because the season doesn't start for three more weeks. Yeah, no bueno. No bueno yeah. there. So, no, no, it's crazy. I think, I think the eclipse went across exactly dark across. Like there was like seven cities of Salem. I think it started like Salem, Oregon. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. You follow that map. I think it hit like right dead center through like seven cities of Salem. Yeah, and I'm just outside of Salem. There you um, go. By by Almsville, and Almsville was supposedly the the heart of the whole. uh, Anyway, I don't know, but it was it was really neat. Yeah. So next time I won't be sitting around my yard. I'm gonna be out in the woods. At least getting what, what, a squirrel, you know, at least a squirrel if it's yeah. happening season. Dylan, he was killing a giant buck. I was just out in my yard watching the birds. What were you during, doing during the I was, I was sitting in my driveway with all my kids. I did have my spotter out, like, looking at it. It was pretty cool. I got some yeah. cool pictures through a spotter. Nice. So what is, uh, other than big mule deer and elk, what else, what else do you like to chase? Uh, really cool. I don't know if you met Ryan Johnson. He was a candidate for the issue, oh, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. s- small world. There's nobody better than Rye. Um, Jeremy and I hunted with him in Arctic red this past year. We were, it was, we were supposed to hunt, uh, the year of 2020, but COVID kind of put a, could have put a stop on a lot of international hunts. And so 
we hunted with him this last year and hunted 16, I think 15, 16 days with Rye, like exceptional hunter. He'd killed a giant ram with his bow um, in a place where he killed the ram uh, this last year. But um, yeah, I love, it's hard. They always tell you don't start with sheep um, because it gets in your blood. But I think, I think what I love most about the sheep is just sleeping on the ground, backpacking, right? It's just that you make a mistake, you go without it, you know, for the entire hunt. It just, right. You know, it just, it just punishes you and you earn it in every aspect of the hunt. So, you know, I've uh, spent a little bit of time in British Columbia. Uh, I really had to earn my stone sheep. I hunted with uh, Jerry Craig up there, Kinniskin Outfitters. Um, oh yeah. Actually hunted with the natives up there and um, hunted with Jerry's brother, Chris. And man, that guy is one incredible human. I think, I believe he was like, Sorry, Chris, if you listen to this, but I think at the time I hunted with him, he was over 70. And that guy was as tough as I'd ever seen anybody in my life. No oh, coat, yeah. snowstorm on. He forgot yeah. his coat. And we're building like a rock fort to try to hunker down on this thing. But uh, like, yeah. So, yes, yeah, I'd always tell people, I'm like, look, what I wish I'd have done is like just put aside 500 bucks to a thousand bucks a year. Cause it's amazing. Like, you know, 20 years goes by or 30 years goes by and you're in a position that you can go buy a hunt and, um, yeah. and go hunt. And I think, I think a stone or a doll sheep is one of those, one of those, it's like everybody needs to go experience at once. So. Yeah. I talked to Jerry and, and he says, Hey, I, I, I was at one of the shows and cause he's, he's done, he's one of our outfitter partners and I think he pulled up the first page of stone sheep and he went through and he's like, yeah, this one's ours. This one's ours. This one's ours. This one's ours. That well, all four of those are ours. like, he went through and like a, a huge chunk of the front page of the record books for stone sheep are all can and Jerry and, and his crew up there. So. And they, and they, they do it like they're hardcore. Like there's no like pre-scouting. There's no flying. Like it's pound you in a saddle, like you're in every little bit of that, but they've done it for, I think, I think Jerry started because dad died. Jerry's the youngest boy. And, um, I think Jerry started when he was like 17, 18. So I mean, imagine 40 years of the, in the hills. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild. Like, you know, it's rodeos every day. You got bears coming in on you. I mean, you never know what you're going to get. Right. Like, yeah. That in itself, that experience is just something that, like, I would encourage everybody if they can to save a little and, you know, and let that thing compound, you know. But it's like that was that was that was really, really, really fun. So hopefully prices, tax come back down because they've been ridiculous. I think I paid 14 grand to go hunt my first doll sheep and there it's ridiculous right now. So, yeah. Have you ever hunted the Arctic, like muskox, polar bear, anything like that? have not i had a buddy go to um uh greenland or iceland this year to hunt a musk ox with a bow and he's nice. like he's like i don't know if my bow is going to work it was like 40 like 40 below and i'm like it has to work right. yeah so he said it was yeah. really fun but i have not okay that's I, I, have a buddy, I have a buddy that dredges gold up in nome alaska he goes up and uh -huh. dredges and i went up uh, I don't know, 10 years ago over the 4th of July 
And uh, we went out and was chasing musk ox, which just on her, this on her feet. And I remember this musk ox turned around to come back after me. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. So, <laughs> yeah, we had uh, Eric Bethune on a little bit ago and he world record uh, Tule elk. And he also had a, a polar bear and a musk ox at convention this year. And he was telling some stories and he's like, man, that's just a whole nother world. He says, you, he says, you don't know if you're going to like it. And then once you do it, you just have to do it again. So it's kind of interesting to hear different perspectives from people. What is, uh, if you could pick anything to hunt in the world, like what, what would something be that you just love to go chase? Mule deer. Mule deer. That good answer. It's people like, Hey, don't you want to go hunt something else? And I'm like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, first, well, first, second, third, fourth of the mule deer. That's awesome. If I could hunt a, a, a running bull, right, just like that, or be with somebody that's hunting a big bull, like that's that's great. But I would, for me, it's just that they're the ghost. They're just so. I mean, I hunted, I hunted Mexico. This is the first year I hadn't gone in in I think maybe 12, 14 years, and I killed one two hundred inch mule deer. He was a giant, but one, like they just so hard, man. They really are just like such a, they're such incredible. Like they don't make very many mistakes if they make right. Them, right. It feels like every time it works out, it's luck. You're just like, man, it was lucky. The deer hunted in Wyoming. I mean, I slept on the dirt, in the dirt, all of the bow hunt. Wow. And I had one, I really wanted to kill the bow. Really, really, really wanted to kill the bow. I think he could have been the new um pushing the new state record for Wyoming. And uh and he was just, I'll send you a video afterwards, but just the thing wouldn't, he didn't make a mistake. Yeah. He was, he was so disciplined, right? He was in bed where he, when he needed to be in bed, came out late. You know, I'm just trying to catch like where this corner piece he was coming out and feeding. And I had one morning, one morning, I had him at 42 yards. Um and stinking elk were rutting and the elk blow him out. I needed him really? to come, I needed him to come like four yards to me, four yards. Oh, up. Man. I just wouldn't shoot him. I wouldn't after Kato, I was like, there's no way I can shoot a deer like this in the top of the back. Right. And the grass was so tall. I mean, because it rained so much up there in this in the high country of Wyoming. The grass was, I mean, literally up to the top of his back. And so he's just off the backside of this little hill. I just needed him to feed up this little top. Right. And, and that sucker just, I mean, they're just that sixth sense they have, you know, as you hunt big yeah. deer, they've got that sixth sense and couldn't get it done. And That's I how just, they get big. Yeah. And to get him with a gun was like completely dumb luck. I was in the wrong place. You know, buddy of mine thought we had a buck. It was him. Wasn't him. And I'm clear off the wrong side of the mountain on the wrong ridge. And this buck comes running through the trees, stops and looks back at me. And I'm like, I think this is this, we call him Zeus. I said, I think this is Zeus, but I'm like, it can't be Zeus because my buddy's got him. And I can't throw my binoculars up because it's foggy, could rain a ton and, and um, put my gun up and shot the deer, not knowing what I shot. And it was him as he's looking wow. back, he dropped off in the trees. So, yeah. So, not, you know, no pressure or anything, but you know, last year, 
Chuck Adams went out and got a world record Sitka blacktail. And then three days later broke his record again. Are you, you know, do you have plans of bringing a, a bigger typical to Arizona next time? Oh, just want to say, Hey, if I just see one and take a picture, that's good enough <laughs> for me. Yeah. I'll, I'll take a picture of the next one. Hopefully that counts. There you go. Yeah. That's, um, well, I know you got some other ones. Love to, uh, love to see those in our, we've got a big display we're going to be putting together in two years and would love to see some of those down there. And, uh, we have to, well, we'll have to check with, with the dates and maybe we won't be, won't be falling on your anniversary in, in Arizona. Although it's I, probably the yeah. same weekend. No, I'll promise if it's not during my anniversary, we'll load them up and bring them down to you. So, okay. That sounds good. There's a good collection of them. So, yeah. So now how, what's, uh, what took you to Puerto Rico? Oh, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in like top 10, like top 10 goals. And I served, I served an LDS mission in New Zealand, got shipped off to the Cook Islands for a couple of years. And uh, the year of 2020, we came down really just to kind of like see what we thought. And you know how COVID was. Right. It, kind of, it locked the whole world down. And so we kind of got stuck here. Um, and, you know, it's like Utah had, I think, 800 inches of snow this year, 75 feet. <laughs> and when you don't do a winter a year, you're like, man, like the best thing about that's, you know, the falls and the springs. And I mean, I love the, we love to get out in the snow as much as anybody, but not have to live in it. And so that's kind of what happened is um, got here and COVID changed a lot of the world, how business works and, you know, and how you can do business and markets and, you know, like it's not so important to actually have to be in, in a studio to do an interview, right? We can hop on and do it virtually wherever we're at in the world. And yeah, people appreciate that. And, and so for me, it was like um, my kids were young at the time and, you know, I'm like, Hey, it was, see if it worked. And we didn't know if it was going to work. We had 200 earthquakes our first year down here. Wow. Every day, every, every day we're like, Hey, it's probably, we need to head back home. We need to head back home, head back home. And, you know, I always say, if you have a chance to kind of get outside of your comfort zones, you're going to meet a lot of incredible people and have a lot of new experiences. And so, you know, we spent our first few months down here, went back to Utah, didn't know if we were going to come back and, and decided we tried again. And, and now it's like, we don't know if we'll, we will head back eventually back to Utah permanently, but for the time being, like we had young kids and it's a good place to have them out in the sun and just being active, being kids, you know, I nice. was, I was, I was laughing. My kids had uh school this week and you know, the, uh, the person, the person that runs the school was talking about like some of the things they try to implement in the school. And I'm laughing. I'm like, well, that's just how my life was up out on the farm. You know, we're drinking out of the ditch and, you know, and building forts <laughs> and, and, and playing cowboys and Indians and shooting crossbow or shooting arrows at each other with like um, toilet paper wrapped on the end with uh, duct tape, you know, but I'm like, kids don't have that chance. And so if you can go do that with your kids and I always tell you to go do it. Hmm, very good. Well, that's outstanding. You know, one thing that we ask everybody on this show, and we don't get we don't get too many issue. There's there aren't too many issue awards, so we don't get too many issue award winners. But uh, we ask everybody, even the rest of us, 
what is when you find yourself up on the mountain chasing those giant mule deer what's one non-traditional item that you like to have with you at all times in your pack non-traditional item Yeah, so it can't be like a knife or I mean we did let Steve Felix say his binoculars, but he had a very specific set of binoculars that he had to have with him. Well and he this, was an Ishii award winner, so we let yeah, him. Well, do it. I mean, I'll, I'm trying to think there's something abnormal that I had to have that was kind of more of a weird um one for sure is uh a windicator, right? Like if you ever go without a windicator, trying to throw dirt in the air, right? That just doesn't work the same as an indicator like the windicator with just like chalk in the air so you can actually see. Um, when I say that, like bow hunting makes you a better hunter, I remember before they had the built-in um, range finder in the glass, and so be, for me, because I'm I'm colorblind, some range finders just don't work for me because it's red. Okay, right. And so if you ever, and it was funny, is remember having a range finder, so you're trying to range it, and you have your binos, and then you have your bow stuck between your legs. Right. That, that is a nightmare. Right. And it's, it's getting, you know, you're trying to put a stock on a buck, trying to do all those things. And so I remember the first time the rangefinder went in the binoculars, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Cause now you can hold your bow, put your binos up. Well, then I was colorblind. So then I'd have to put my hand in, in front of the, in the uh, oh, no. binos so I could see the, the, the black behind the red so I could actually see how right. far it was. So, so for me, I'm a um, Leica you know, true and true. I like the Leica glass um, for me because, you know, the range works perfectly for color people that are colorblind. So, but that's one for me that is an absolute must. Okay. You want to change your life on the wind indicator? Well, use, use milkweed. You ever done that? Yeah. It's a life changing thing, dude. When you I know, use but milkweed. what happened? You don't have milkweed. Well, you can buy it online. You can buy like, Oh. Gallon, you can buy like gallon bags of it. Like people will just pick it and put it in bags for for hunters. Okay, and you can like buy it for like five bucks, and then just really? keep it. And you just what's so cool about it is that dust that you know it dissipates after ten feet or whatever. But yeah. with that milkweed, and it'll it'll show you thermals too. So like if you drop it, you can watch it all the way down to the next ridge, and like it's bright white, so you can see it floating down over the next crevice and how it, you know, if it hits a tree line, how it responds when it gets there. It's it's really cool. Dude, that is such a great idea. Milk yeah, weed. I go I go to my local dam every year and, and just pick a couple pods and like two pods last year for two years because you just pull out a couple strands and drop it. It's really cool. That's such a great idea. Who Thanks, was it? Man. Somebody said somebody said milkweed on the show. I don't remember. Somebody who it was, did. Though. I can't remember who that was. Um that's but if you pass it on to somebody and then when he goes and shoots another world record, then, you know, we're going to have to have him back on. Still. We're going to ask yeah. that. We're going to be like, did Bodie, did you use milkweed? I'm going to, for sure. Use, I'm for sure going to use milkweed this year. It's Excellent. Awesome, man. All right. Yeah. Well, well, you'll have to go get another monster and then we'll have you back on and you can give us, it'll be like the, uh, the milkweed report at the end of the season. Should be a good year, right? We got good rain. You know, if you're hunting, a, if you're hunting a desert buck, it should be really good because you're not going to have the winter kill. You know, they can get out of that, that nasty snow. Yeah. It stinks, like, it stinks for like the Wyoming range, right? Man, those, 
the deer there, you know, the Northern Utah range is, man, my buddies at snowmobile. So they just had animals dead all over the place. It was like the saddest Jeez. thing. So. Yeah. We actually did a, uh, some feeding programs up in Utah, just cause they were looking at a 90 some percent death rate on deer and elk. And it's like, I mean, you have to do something it's, you can't do enough, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's just tragic. And, and, you know, when they go into, they go through the winter like that and then the does are not in good condition. And then your recruitment the next year is, is low. So it, it takes a long time to bounce back from a winter like this. But like you said, in the areas that didn't have that massive snow cover and the die off, it should be, you know, we had the moisture levels that you're hoping to see. So yeah, hopefully Nevada. another. Yeah. Nevada, yeah. Nevada, Arizona. Right. If people were to ask me like, where does the new like typical come from? Right. I'd say it's, it's going to come out of the desert again. It's just that like, I think the desert hides one of the things I'd tell you that I think the desert hides H right. Um, crazy story. What um, a buddy of mine, um, uh, I didn't kill the buck, but fishing game had collared a buck. And I can't remember what year it was. I actually think it was 2000. Um, no, it wasn't. I don't even give a year. Cause I don't remember what it was. They'd collared a buck. We had a really severe drought and, um, I think it was 2016, but don't hold me to that one because because 2017 when I killed Casper was an incredible year across the board. The collar of the buck, the deer, because they when they collar every year, they'll go check the deer and check all the vitals, everything. The deer was 168 inches as a seven-year-old. So it wasn't like the deer wasn't mature. He was seven years old, 168 inches. The next year we had really good rainfall. So the day deer was eight years old. The deer went 218 inches. As a typical. Crap. Wow. 218, 216 or 218 as a typical. Um, and that's when you say it was an age, right? He was mature the year before. After right. genetics, genetics didn't change. It was strictly the it was strictly the drought, right? And so I always wow. I, I think if you're somebody said, hey, where's the new uh state record or world record gonna come from? I'd always say the desert because it allows deer's deer to age because if you have a bad year. People are going to think, overlook a deer that's, you know, that look, deer looks like a dink. And what was crazy about that deer, I think they said he had like 16 inches of mass per side. Um, when they killed him, he had like 22 per side. Wow. Jeez. And so you just, that's, that's, that's the feed in, in, in the fact of like weather. So, yeah. you know, you know, you get a good year like this, you know, it should be, should be a really good year for, I would say, like the West, you know, anything that's got desert land touching it, the deer could get out, you know, I think they're going to have a really, really good year. So, yeah. Now, if you had to pick, obviously, mule deer is your thing. Is it, is velvet your favorite or do you like the hard horn? Uh, velvet. And, uh, okay. It's so crazy at first. I'm like, man, how people kill these velvet deer? And then I'm like, man, how's anybody kill anything outside of a velvet deer? You got all different, <laughs> like the color, right? I have like, like dark, like a darker black velvet to like a blonde velvet to the orange to like got velvet that has like a big old white streak um, in the velvet, you know? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I love, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an, I mean, it has to be good velvet, right? Dry velvet that's like re getting ready to come off. You know, I killed a really big Colorado deer that went to, it was 255 at, at, at uh, three droppers. 
on him. Mm. Um, really, really cool buck. But yeah, I, my biggest mis- biggest regret there is I I let the outfitter taught me out of hunting with a bow. So I'm so mad, so mad. Mm. Still today, I'm like I don't I knew better. We could have killed the deer. Um, he just wasn't a bow hunter, and right, which, which was really sad. But you know, I understand. I'm like you. Know, you have a chance to hunt a deer like that, right? For me, it's more than that. Like how you kill them, right? Or if you have a chance to kill with the bow every time, go for it. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, I shot one this year, uh, a mule deer in Eastern Oregon. And as he was sitting there, I shot him in his bed and he was just beautiful, you know, nice velvet buck hit him. He, he literally flopped over on his side, kicked about three times and, and he was done right there. And it scrapped, scraped the velvet off of the whole left side. And then by the time I got him down, it was the other side was pretty much gone. And I was like, man, it was so like I can still see in my mind when he's laying there on the hill and and there's just this perfect velvet buck. And then it's uh it takes a lot of special care to get him in the condition that there's like a buddy running up and grabbing him before he dies that's the care that it takes i don't have any buddies that fast no there's there's a guy out of oregon that's uh doing like hair transplant for velvet deer gus Hmm. he's he did it on my wyoming buck and i i have not had a chance to see it in person yet but he, he finished it my buddies that have seen it said it looks unbelievable really cool uh huh so um yeah, which is cool because the artificial velvet doesn't look anything like the real velvet, but like I'm looking forward to seeing how that how that actually turned out. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, you know, you you see a buck and it's like, oh man, he's so perfect. And you shoot him and then he's, you know, took off the whole front beam, you know, of the yeah. velvet. So yeah, we actually had somebody send us a uh a sample of the you know, the, I guess the fake velvet stuff on an antelope. <laughs> and it's, so it was actually up. We had a velvet antelope in the museum for a while and you would, people would go in there. Some people never caught it. And then other people are like, wait, that's just not right. And you're like, exactly. It's not. So. You no, know, there's just one species of antelope that grow velvet. It's wild, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and this is the world record. So, well, Hey, <laughs> Bodie, thanks. Thanks for joining us, man. We sure appreciate it. And uh, thanks for sharing your trophy uh, with us at convention. What, what a magnificent animal and uh, just, just literally in a room full of giants. That one, that one stood out and was just, just a, uh, a magnificent specimen. So congratulations on that and some of your other trophies and can't wait to see some more in the coming years. Well, thanks for having me guys. Have an, have an awesome, awesome day and a great year. Yeah, you too. Enjoy. Co- or in, well, let's see. Uh, for, uh, Puerto Rico. I almost said Jamaica. And then I was like, Costa Jamaica, Rica. Costa Rica, like, Puerto Rico is all the same. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'd, all I was thinking is sand and beaches. And that's yeah. so. Well, come, you're ever this way, come visit. Dinner on me. You got it. Will do. Okay. Take care. See you guys.